Welcome to the Grief Dreams podcast. Thanks for tuning in. This is where we have conversations with guests about life, loss, grief, and grief dreams, which can be dreams of your loved ones that have passed away. So if you want to know more about the topic, you can definitely check out our website, griefdreams.ca, for more information. And here are four ways you can help support the podcast and help us spread awareness on this amazing topic. So number one, subscribe and rate the podcast on the platform that you listen to it on. Number two, become a member of the podcast, and that's for as low as $1.50 a month. This helps us run the podcast, and you can find the Patreon link in the show notes. Number three, you can take the Grief Dreams online course by Dr. Joshua Black at griefdreams.ca. And lastly, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Clubhouse, and Facebook at Grief Dreams. And now on to the show. Welcome to the Grief Dreams podcast. My name is Sean Ram alongside Dr. Joshua Black. Um, Once again, we're very happy to be here podcasting and doing what we enjoy doing. On today's episode, we have with us Jen K. Lee, and she is a writer and mixed media artist who lives in Hawaii with her husband and two children. Her book, Grieving in Dreams, Finding Peace After Losing My Sister, explores how her first year of dreaming about her late sister, who passed away in 2019, helped her process her grief and guided her towards a path that ultimately led to peace. Jen, welcome to the podcast. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. I am so excited to talk to you. It's been a little while since we, we booked this, and I've been trying to read your book, and I finally got a chance to start it. And I'm really in love with how you wrote this book. It's one of the oh, things that, you know, when people, <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> you wrote it. Um, I, I think like a lot of times writers don't, we've had some writers on here, they don't really get that feedback right away or people may be shy to approach them. But just I've read about a fourth of the book so far and it's really has me hooked, not only because I just love these dreams, but how you not only talk about the dream, but you incorporate memories how it relates to your sister, what the dream meant for you. And I'm like, wow, this is such a great book for anyone who wants to learn more about how dreams do reflect their waking life and how to talk about them in a way, because it's more than is the dream, like what the dream means to you. It's about the memories that made the dream in a way. And like, how does that reflect who they were in our relationship together? And you really go into that. So I think the book is, it can be a really good teaching tool for people who are just starting to maybe ask those questions, maybe to clients that are bereaved to really understand that there's so many ways you can talk about these dreams without having to know what it means. You just have to talk about the imagery in many ways. And I'm learning a lot just from the certain dreams you've shared about your sister and about your relationship and who you were and your own anxieties and fears when it came to the, the changes after the death, especially with her kids and, and being there. And so I just want to say thank you for writing and the way you did. I'm actually going to, I, I have a workshop that uh, I run in anytime I do any in-person workshops or even online, I'm going to suggest your book as a tool for people to be able to utilize to understand the topic even further. Because I think there's nothing in the market like what you have. Wow. Thank you so much. That's very nice of you. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> hey, you just never know. And <laughs> who's going to find expecting. you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> what were you expecting? <laughs> So I'm really excited. So the only I've the way you've structured the book, it was like 
every month after the loss of your sister. And so I'm a couple months in, so I'm really excited to sort of talk more about it. But before we go into all the dreams, I would just like to for you to go back and just talk about your relationship with your sister and also becoming both moms. Well, so my sister, she was five years older than me. Growing up, we didn't really click very well, I guess you could say. And when we were kids, because she was so much older than me, you know, I was in elementary school and she was in high school. So I was always just like the baby. And we sort of found common ground when we became adults. And especially when we both had children, she had children um, about six, six years before me is when she had her first and her second. And after that, I think our relationship really blossomed. And I guess we could relate to each other on the same level. It wasn't that, you know, you're so much older, I'm so much younger, we're in different phases of life. We're sort of like, we're in the same phase now together with raising these little girls together, because I have two girls, and she has two girls. I think that's interesting, because you know, sometimes people come on here and they say, oh, we were so close, but it wasn't like that because of the distance and age. So when looking at your uh, your life with your sister, when did you know she had cancer? Uh, she was diagnosed in December of 2017. And she, um, I woke up to a text message one morning because she texted constantly, nonstop. So it was just like a routine text message. And she was just asking me and my our other sister, um, what a gallbladder attack felt like because my sister my other sister and I have both had our gallbladders removed so I was kind of explaining the the kind of pain that it was and then she said oh you know that's not really what I feel and I think I should go to the ER but I feel like a baby or like a wimp that I can't handle this pain but I said well I said you know we my sister and I my father too have all had gallbladder issues so I in a sense it was sort of like it's almost like it's just your time you know it's for your gallbladder to act up as well. So she said she was going to go to the ER. And then she went and a couple of hours later, she texted us and said, um, something looks abnormal. So they're going to have me take, I don't know if it was an MRI or something. And then we just have to wait for the results to get read. And then it was like a few hours after that, she said, you're not going to believe this. And she said, the doctor said, I have colon cancer. I was just like, what? Like, first of all, I've never heard of the ER diagnosing someone with cancer. So we were kind of upset with the ER because we thought, you know, you should at least maybe say something looks suspicious and maybe you should go and get it checked and whatnot. So we we're really upset at the doctor, especially because we're thinking it's not true that that was the case. But when she was diagnosed, it was stage four already. So it had spread to her, like her lungs and her liver and of course, it was in her colon as well. So, wow. Can you like go through like what your thoughts were when you actually was confirmed that she had cancer? It was just, uh, it just complete, complete shock and disbelief. And we're just like, no, you know, that it, it's not true. And then she sent us a screenshot of her, um, she took a photo of her discharge papers from the ER. And it said, like, cancer, new diagnosis. And we're still saying, no, you know, like, what's wrong with that doctor? And how dare he say this kind of thing to you before it's confirmed? And and then she hadn't, she didn't tell us the stage. But then I Googled it because when she was telling me that it had spread to, you know, they had found tumors in all these different places. And I saw that it was stage four. 
just on from on online. And then I called her and she was at she was at the pharmacy getting some I don't know what kind of medicine she had to take after that, right after that, but she was getting something and then I was just telling her like, are you joking? And is this real? And yeah, we just could not believe it. And then it was within maybe a week or two after that, that she went to the oncologist and then they confirmed that it was inoperable and incurable. How do you process that? Like, and how did she process that? It seemed like because she didn't tell you it was stage four that she was trying to hold and like save you, I guess, a little bit from suffering. You know, she didn't, even just throughout, I know she would tell us later you know, that she, that she broke down and when she was talking to her husband and that she had told her kids and just throughout her illness, she would talk about having, you know, been crying about something, but we, we never really did that in person. Yeah. Really ever. Like all, all of us, my entire family, we never like all sat together with her to like cry about it. We just sort of did it privately. And then, you know, and then we, when we would see her, we saw her every week tried to just act as normal as possible because she wanted to act normal and she acted normal. And I guess in her acting normal, it gave us permission to act normal as well because she didn't want to focus on it. And she would tell us, you know, like, please, you know, keep me updated with things that are going on in your life. Cause even if they seem like they're trivial compared to cancer, because of course everything seems trivial, she said it's not. And, you know, so she just wanted to be as normal as possible for as long as possible. Yeah, that's very interesting because um, you use the words of uh, permission to act normal. And I think that's, you know, in, in those type of situations, there's so much emotion and uh, your sister, uh, you know, you guys respected her wishes to be a certain way, which, you know, and that's that's great. That that shows that your family is in it. And, you know, if, if that's... Uh, being stoic is, is something she wanted to be, then, you know, you guys supported that, which, which I think is very commendable because, uh, you know, it, like I said, during that time, it can be very confusing uh, for family members as well. Cause I'm sure you had moments in, in your life where you uh, maybe broke down. Do you remember any times when you felt particularly vulnerable? Oh, I mean, I cried constantly, <laughs> but just like, I guess not really in front of her. It was always just like private, you know, because I guess like when we talked to her, it was all very much, you know, stay positive, like you got this, you'll beat it. Even though like, I think the, um, oh gosh, I can't, oh, um, the, the survival rate I think was very low. Like the five-year survival rate was, I don't know, 20% or 15, I don't remember what it was, but it was very low and not reassuring at all. But, you know, I would tell her that, you know, just because whatever, whatever it was, 20%. That doesn't mean that you're not going to be that 20%, you know? So we just cut to, I guess you have to sort of think that way. Otherwise you can't really cope or go on day to day. When was the moment when your sister realized that uh, she wasn't going to survive and this was going to be it? So she was diagnosed at the end of 2017 and all of 2018, she was like, great. I mean, not great, but, you know, like as great as can be. And Mm -hmm. if you saw her, you would never think she was sick at all. Even though, you know, I think she had been in the hospital maybe once or so in 2018 or, but she always came out of it. And then in 2019, things really started going downhill. 
just from January was sort of like, I guess, like the beginning of the end where she ended up going to the hospital more often. And then the cancer was in her bones. And I think it may have spread to her lymph nodes by then as well. But she's still, you know, um, she kept, like she, she had treatment every, um, every week. And she never really specifically like would say like, okay, this is it, you know, except for one time in the hospital when I went to see her in February, she told me that she was going to die that year. And then I said, no, <laughs> like, that's ridiculous. Of course you're not. Yeah. Um, sorry. Um, but it was, um, it was based on incorrect information that she had heard from a nurse. I think one of the nurses, I don't know why, but they told her that she was going to stop her chemo, mm-hmm. which wasn't true, but at, at that time, she thought that was true. So then she thought, they're just going to send me home to die. But she didn't. And I think it was it was in June of 2019 that she entered um, at-home hospice. And then at first it was like called hospice support mm-hmm. where it's not really hospice or something. It's sort of like in order to get the medication, the medication, cause she was having some trouble getting the medication because of all the opioid crisis. Um, she had a really hard time. Like they wouldn't give it to her. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was kind of terrible. Yeah. You think um, having the diagnosis, <laughs> right. they would uh, be on top of that. I mean, right. you, guys, you guys know. So, like, she would only get, like, a, a partial. They would fill her prescription only partially. So she would have to, like, kind of spread out the pain medication yeah. because she didn't have enough. It was terrible. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So, so then she entered. So she was in that hospice support. because So we thought, you know, then she would be able to get the medicine more easily. Mm-hmm. And then, like, on a Monday or something they said she was going to go into like full hospice. And then I think the next day the nurses were supposed to come and check her out. And then they did. And then the next day she died. Yeah. So it was really fast. Like I saw her in, like she was, you know, when she started the hospice support she was like in her bed, but you know, she could still get out and walk. Um, I thought, it was going to be like months and months and months where, you know, maybe eventually she would be bedridden, but mm. she would still be there for months. I didn't think it was going to be like a week or days. Mm. So she wasn't, I think I saw her in, in, in the bed in her room for about a week. She was like pretty heavily medicated. So we couldn't like talk very much. Yeah. It breaks my heart to hear that she had such a difficulty getting the, the pain meds because, you know, yes. like- you want people to be able to die well and to be able to maintain a, a lifestyle they want as they move forward. And pain just destroys you. It can really just put a damper on everything. And people don't trust you despite having a diagnosis. That's just got to be so defeating when you're trying to have hope and trying to beat something yourself. So, you know, I really feel, and hopefully move forward and listen to this, that they can advocate better and understand some of the issues that the dying do face based on preconceived notions of right you know the the healthcare system and 
and said the opioid crisis and stuff. So yeah, that that breaks my heart. I was really curious since said there was some time within that before she went to the home hospice. Did she have any like last wishes, or did she just try to live a normal life like nothing was? Occurring? She really just tried to live a normal life, and like uh, we definitely like we took more trips than we normally would have, and we did more things than we normally would have. But it, we didn't ever, or she didn't do anything like, you know, like huge, that, like a, like a bucket list type thing. So I was curious about, I think this is, a, did you have any dreams? Because you wrote a book about dreams after her death. Did you have any dreams prior to her death? You said like there was about a two year period there, or a year and a half, where you understood that she was going to be dying sooner than expected in your own mind. Did you have any of these anticipatory grief dreams? I had very few the one that I that I remember, and it's actually in the book somewhere. I'm not really sure where, but it it was. Um, I think it was several months before she died, and I had dreamed about being in like a ballroom type of situation, or like the lobby of a ballroom with her, and there were our relatives who had already passed away in the ballroom already, with, and the door was closed, and we were kind of waiting to be let into the ballroom. I was waiting with her, and we were looking at an iPad of old pictures. And then I remember one picture was of our late grandma also. And I remember waking up from that dream, just thinking like, Oh, that's, that doesn't sound very good. (laughs) It seemed kind of ominous, you know, to have all of our late relatives. And then I'm with my sister and yeah, but that was kind of the only, I may have had one other one before where she was sick but yeah, there was never any, um, like I never dreamed in, in advance of like her funeral or that hearing the news or anything like that. Well, that wondering with the, all the other deceased relatives, I think is very interesting because it was this foreshadowing. And at that time, were you really interested in dreams or is this something that came out because you started dreaming of your sister? I've always been really interested in dreams because I think they're, a lot of times in my life, they've always sort of reflected what I was going through or kind of showed me how I was feeling when I wasn't really ready to acknowledge that that's the way I was feeling. So I've always really believed in like, in like the power of dreams. And maybe not every single dream doesn't have like some deep significance, but I think some of them really do. So with that dream, I mean, it did, it stuck with me, that one about the ballroom. And then, um, you know, after she had passed away, I I thought about it uh, as I was sort of grieving and just sort of going through how I felt about just my beliefs about death and, you know, all those kinds of things. Um, And it it felt like that ballroom was sort of like, you know, like like the other side where you cross the threshold, the lip in this case, the literal threshold of the ballroom into the other side. And then there's all your family waiting. I think that's a, a good moment to sort of just point out that at the moment of the dream, it didn't seem that it was very comforting at all. But when you look back, I think that's the beauty of dreams is that we may not understand it or they change the meaning after a certain event has happened. And you mm-hmm. can relook at that and sometimes even gain strength or strengthen the belief system You know, with that that can help us as we move forward through grief. Very true. And then so when she died... When did these dreams really started happening? And how was that for you when she 
actually when you actually heard that she died? I know you're saying that it was a shock because you thought you had a lot more time. Yeah, it was a, just a huge shock. I think I mean everyone knew. I mean at that point that it was coming. You know, there was no, there was no. I don't want to say no hope that she would get better, but you know, we had at that point we had accepted that yes, she was going to die at some point, but not that quickly. So it was just again, I guess just just complete shock. But like it was a very like a like a quiet kind of shock. Like I don't know if it's just like like stunned into silence or in like one of the things that I say in the book is that it sort of my reaction to hearing that she had passed away because it was early in the morning at like 2.30 in the morning was like, I, I compared it to like knowing in advance that your house is going to catch on fire. And then when it does, you're just sort of standing there, just like, just um, like watching it just become like engulfed in flames and you don't like run in to try to save anything you don't like try to get water to put it out you just stand there and watch it crumble down and that's I guess that's what it felt like just literally nothing that can be done just just staring at it like dumbfounded I guess that it happened and that it is permanent and like that's it like i'm just never gonna see her again oh my goodness i did not it's... expect this Grief <laughs> <laughs> shows up in different ways and that's one of the beauties of for us to be able to just provide a space <laughs> for people to just share and it honestly it connects with me so much and you know I, i'm having tears in my eyes for it reminds me of my own grief but also what people go through because you know there's so many times we write a book or we talk about it and people are like, Oh, like grief is gone. And like, no, it's just in a different part of the body or in the mind. And mm-hmm. when you, when you give it space, it's amazing to see where, where it lies and how it shows up. And so I think it's, it's really amazing that you can be so vulnerable and honest on the podcast. It means a lot to us. And I know it connects a lot with the listeners. And so, you know, like, thank you for just going there too and not being afraid. And I think you writing a book about it showcases that you're, there's a part of you that really wanted to showcase your grief, but also the relationship you have with your sister and that you continue to have with your sister as you move forward. And so what was the first dream you had of her? Because it, in the book, you have, was it 120 dreams you had about her? I think it was like 75 within the first year, which I got to say is a lot is a lot of dreams <laughs> of the deceased. A lot of people may only like, some people only have one dream their entire life that they remember of the deceased. And you're having 75 within the first year. And so I'm just really curious because as you said in the statement, you were watching this house burn down and you thought you're never going to see her again. Right. That was it. That was the final image you had of her. And then you started having these experiences in your dreams where you're seeing her again. So could you Mm -hmm. talk about just that? And were you expecting that to happen after she died? I was not expecting it at all. It it wasn't even even a consideration. Like at that point, I, I think I had the first dream within about a week of her death. So at that early stage, I wasn't even 
trying to hope for a dream, you know, it was was the last thing on my mind. And the first dream that I had about her, she wasn't even in it, but we were just, was with my family and we were just waiting for her um, at a performance. We were just waiting for her to come. Like, you know, we're just saving a seat for her. And it, it just felt very normal. Like it didn't feel like we're, we were symbolically saving her a seat. You know, it was just like, oh, she's not here yet. Like she's on her way. So it just felt very normal like that. And then, so she died in July. And then I had, I think I had three dreams that month of her. And then I think it was, was it the second or the third one that I I saw her again? And she looked healthy, not healthy, but she looked the way she did in 2018. So she was already sick, but she looked that way. Mm, and it just felt like just there you are again. Mm. And it just started feeling like new memories of her because after she died, it become it became a very, um, you know, where I want to like save every single thing and remember every single thing. And, you know, like I saved all of her text messages. I backed them all up and all the things that I could find that she gave to me. I'm just kind of like becoming like, like hoarding everything. Cause I, you know, it's never going to happen again. I'm never going to like get anything new again from her or text her again. But then I started dreaming. And after I had about five of them, so that was like maybe in, by the next month, I decided to start writing them down because initially I was, you know, I could recite all of them. Like the first one was this, second one was this. And then after I had four or five, I started thinking like, what if I forget, you know, one in the series and there's no way for me to ever get it back. I can't ask her like, what was it that we did or where were we? So I thought, oh, I should just write them all down. And then, I mean, I'm glad I did because I didn't know that I was going to have so many. I really thought like, oh, maybe I'll have, you know, five at the time. I didn't, I really didn't expect to have as many as I did. And like, I, I'm, I still dream about her every month, a couple of times a month. I keep counts of them. I think there is between three and 10 a month since she died. So this month I've had, um, I think my 160 something, 62nd one or something like that. So I really did not expect to have so many dreams about her. So it seems like you have a part two for your book coming. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> the next 200 dreams of me and my sister. <laughs> which which just to give people i think an idea i only had three the first year when my dad died so for you to have so much i think it's just uh very interesting for me as even as a researcher to understand like you're it's almost like i think a lot like my personal opinion is that i think a lot of people dream of the deceased but they just don't remember it when they wake mm-hmm. up a lot of times and some of my data supports that. So I was remembering three of the more powerful ones, but in your book, it does seem like you have these very powerful ones. You have these negative ones, but then you also have these, you know, mundane ones uh, throughout. And it's, mm-hmm. and it could be that you're remembering almost every dream maybe of her that has, is being um, shown in your mind, which a lot of people would forget by the time they wake up. So I'm, I look at this, I'm like, this is very interesting because I think it can really shed light on, a lot of these dreams that even that a lot of people don't remember and what are they trying to do within us? Because even if we don't remember them, I think they can still impact us right. within our grieving process. And so this is, that's what I said, it's a really interesting case study on seeing like how these dreams actually form throughout time. I do still have dreams that I can't remember, but it seems like the pattern for me is that after I have a dream, I wake up even if it's only for like a second, just to sort of, I don't know why, but I wake up and I know that I just had a dream about her. 
And then it's sort of a toss up whether I can remember it or not. Mm. And then if I can remember it, then I can write it down or I'll sort of replay the whole thing before I fall back asleep. Mm. And then I wake up again and then I remember less than I did before. Because in some of my dreams, it would be where I would wake up in the dream and write down the dream that I just had. So that when I woke up in real life, I couldn't really remember it anymore because in the dream, I had already remembered it once and I couldn't remember it again. I could only remember a very small part of it. Very frustrating. That's so cool. It's like, that's like Inception. It's like a dream within a dream. <laughs> yeah, that's so cool. <laughs> But it's definitely frustrating when you wake up and you're like, wait a second, I wrote this down. I know I did. Yeah. <laughs> you're like blaming someone for stealing it and stuff. And right. <laughs> or sometimes no. I'll, I'll like give it a name in my mind. And then when I wake up throughout the night, I'll just sort of say that name again to sort of remind me of what the dream was about, sort of like giving the dream a title. But then when I wake up, sometimes it doesn't make any sense. I'm just like, what was that about? Why did I say that? And so, but th there's just that feeling where you just know that you, like, I just know that I just saw her versus waking up from not having a dream about her. This, it, it's, it's just a different feeling. But I stopped um, writing those down. Like in the beginning, I would write down, like, I had a dream, but I can't remember it. You know, and as time went on, I thought I'm having enough dreams now where I don't need to be so obsessive with even if I forgot it, I have to write it down because that's how it was in the beginning. I kind of like that practice. And I wonder if that facilitated you remembering more dreams of her too, because you're you're writing down it, like I said, all the dreams that that were impactful to you in a way. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't sure if you were dreaming outside your sister, would you still write those down? Like, did you have a separate dream journal prior, or is it, are you just writing down the dreams of your that you had that related to your sister? I just, I just write down the ones from my, my sister because I started treating it as, you know, as new memories with her. So it was almost like, I mean, not a scrapbook or a memory book, but it was almost just like another quote unquote memory to have with her. Like, oh, we were here, we were there, you know, because we can't ever do anything again in person. So it's just to remember so that I can look back and be like, oh yeah, remember when we went here or that you said this? And even if it wasn't real, it's still something and i guess it helps to i don't know if it's if it's good or if it's bad or if it's part of denial or what but you know to be able to have seen her even if just in a dream like so recently it makes it seem less real because you know i mean she she has she had her own life she lived in her, in her own house so i didn't see her every single day anyway so if i dream about her like this week then it's like oh you know i saw her this week like i would have anyway well, I think it's definitely helpful. Uh, as you said, like one of your greatest fears was you weren't going to have any new memories of her. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, and you're probably going to maybe forget how she sounds or what she looks like and right. to feel her love or right? like, all that sort of stuff is a very real part of the grieving process. I had that with my dad. Like that was one of the first things that came to my mind was it wasn't going to have any new memories. And I try to remember and write down every memory I had of him, which mm -hmm. when you're in grief, you don't, <laughs> you can't right. conjure up the memories that easy. <laughs> <laughs> and so these dreams allowed me to do very similar things is to be able to see him again and even like smell him. It was kind of like, there's so many senses involved in the dreams that actually allowed me to feel that he was still a part of my life in a way 
And that's just part of our continuing bond. And that's, I think, just in my own research too, it's actually helpless, helps us with the grieving process in many ways. That's why people look at photographs or old movies and that's okay. And there's a part of us that needs that to work through the difficulties and challenges that we're facing uh, with that. And so I was wondering if you could just, you know, maybe talk about the dreams and how they, how they helped you or how they maybe changed as you went through different phases of your grief. Well, so initially when I was writing them all down, it was just, you know, it was just for myself, just to, as a, as a memory. And then as I was having more and more and more, I started, it just started dawning on me that I wonder if the dreams are helping me process my grief because of the, the wide range of like subject matter in the dreams and the different stages of her life. Like sometimes she was a child in it. Sometimes she was like completely healthy. Sometimes she was sick and some she had already passed away. I had a few where she had come back to life. And I thought, this is really strange. Like initially I thought I would dream about her only being healthy, you know, because I feel like that's what we all want to think that, oh, you know, now they're in heaven and they're free of pain and they're healthy. So I assumed that I would just dream about her healthy. So to see her like sick or having already passed away in some of the dreams and, and as a younger person as well, I just thought like, God, I'm, I'm like dreaming about her whole life, like her whole life with me. So then it's like, it's like, I'm dreaming about our life together. And so then I decided to just start writing about it. And then as I was writing about each dream, I just kind of realized how each one would, you know, it would bring up a different memory about her or a different, um, like something about her personality or that this one showed how, how protective she was of me that I, you know, maybe I wouldn't have said like that she was protective of me before, but because of this dream, I thought, Oh, then I could, you know, because in the dream, she protects me from like some little girl or something causing trouble to me. Then it reminds me of all the times in real life when she protected me. Then I think, oh, she was actually protective. So it's sort of like it sort of revealed all these like truths about her that I hadn't realized. And I don't think I would have realized without the dreams. I, you know, after she passed away, if somebody were to ask, like, describe her and I don't really know what to say. It's like, I've just known her my whole life and I can't really like sum her up and pinpoint all these little things. But the dreams allowed me to pinpoint just little, just very small things that I wouldn't have remembered so easily with just without the dream sort of triggering the memory. I'm listening and I'm just really amazed because it. you're right. Like these dreams triggered new memories, not only like the dream itself is this, its own memory now moving forward, but it's helping you to remember other aspects of your life with your sister and who your sister was that may not come as easily as you're saying. Mm -hmm. That is fascinating to me. And that's so true in many ways. Like there's so many parts of the imagery. And that's why I think I love your book so much is you do explore those. Like this is like, I remember the one dream in the beginning you had was something was going on. Your sister took charge and did something. And then in the book, you sort of said like, this is how she used to do it. She would just take charge, do it because no one can make a decision. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Part of her personality. I'm like, oh, that's so interesting. Like how that triggered that memory. And then you went through different moments when she did that, when the, no one in the family 
could decide and she just went ahead and did it and never told anyone until after it was done and you're yes. still debating <laughs> on what to do like, i thought that was so funny yeah yeah we're like what's she like should we do this or that and she's like i already did it and i'm like oh okay what were some of the most memorable dreams you had within that first year that you could maybe tell us i think the most memorable one i had um one of them i remember was that um when she came back to life i had two of those i think in the first year but the second one it was a really long dream and i remembered just so much of it and i i could just i was just writing and writing and writing about it when i woke up i just remembered so many different details and part of it was that she we were all in like this big warehouse and she was meeting all of our family, our extended family. We're all together for like a meal, kind of like a a celebratory thing because she came back. And it was just like a known thing that, yes, she had died. And now she gets to come back for, I don't know, a couple of days or a couple of weeks. And it was just like a set thing that that's what happens to everyone. And this was her time to come. So everyone was at dinner together, you know. And then after everybody ate, I I went into this other house or up upstairs into like a room, but it ended up sort of becoming its own house afterwards. And I was biting my nails and I was like, this is gross, but I was like spitting the nail pieces out of the door. And I went to go and get them so I could throw them away. And then when I went to get them, she was sitting there and she said that she saw me doing that. And I said, you know, like I thought that you could see me doing that. And then I was asking her all about heaven and I, I never called it heaven. I just called it over there. I was just asking her about what things are like. And th there was the feeling that I was going to ask her like absolutely everything. And it's like, I, I'm in the beginning of this like exciting conversation where, you know, you're just going to have every single question you want answered. But I had, I had asked her if she, or what they ate, if they ate food up there and she said that sometimes they ate vegetarian food. And then I asked her why our other family members who have passed away haven't gotten to come back yet. And then she said that she thinks that they did already. And then I thought it was weird that she didn't really know for sure. So I asked her like, you know, like, don't you see them or you don't see them anymore? And that she said that she did. And then I was going to ask her, you know, what it's like and what everything looks like and just about her life living there but then um i woke up and that was the the only dream i think i've ever had possibly even up until now when i was um really sad when i woke up because it felt like i don't know it, it felt like my only chance to find out everything was gone and every other dream i've had about her i've, I've never felt sad when i woke up like i never it was there was never a moment where I would think like where I would have to remember again that oh wait that was just a dream and she's not really here and you know and I would be sad that she wasn't here I always knew when I woke up like oh I it, that was a dream and I was always happy because I had a dream but this one it was just that was the only time like I almost started crying when I woke up because it just I, I guess th there was just so much disappointment that I didn't get to finish the conversation with her wow it's a very interesting dream for a lot of reasons <laughs> i'm really curious about the biting the nails is that something that you do when you're stressed or is that just something that happened in the dream i've been biting my nails since i was a kid 
<laughs> Survey says that is accurate. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was more just that how embarrassing that she caught me spitting them out outside. <laughs> but I went to pick them up. So well, I think yeah, <laughs> that's good. Your 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 cleanliness is, uh, yes, is yes. well appreciated for many people. Uh, <laughs> and so I'm curious about you. It's funny, like we have these dreams that come in that we hear when people do ask, they usually get one or two questions that they get sometimes like what it's like in the afterlife and, and stuff like that. Or, and you ask, what are you eating? Or, or are you right. like, kind of, kind of, do you eat food? And I think that's an interesting question. Was it something that you thought about? Like, or was that on your mind prior? Because it's such a, I've never heard that before. No, because in in the dream, she had said that she had like, <laughs> she, she, she said, I have day old gas in me from all the junk food that I just ate from being here. <laughs> I don't know if that's something that's to funny. say publicly, but that's what she said. <laughs> that I guess when she came back to life, she just like, I don't know, she just gorged on a whole bunch of junk food. <laughs> so then, I don't know. But I think it's funny either way. I think it's just a funny <laughs> statement. Who knows if it's true or not, right? But it's just, it's just a funny statement to say. Yeah. So that's what she said. That's what she was telling me that she has all this from eating the food. So then I asked her, like, oh, you know, you don't eat up there? Or like, what do you eat up there? So that's why she mentioned it. <laughs> um, that's so she wouldn't funny. be happy with hearing that. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. And I know you mentioned in that dream, like, it felt a little different and because there's more questions you want to ask, what kind of questions did you want to ask? Because you did ask a, you know, a couple that would have been reassuring in some way. So what kind of other questions did you have at that time or do you still have? I would have asked her what everything looks like. Where does she live up there? What does she do every day? Can she see us? Can she like, you know, like if, if if you want to become a bird one day, do you just go to some place and just say, I'm going to be a bird today and fly down over my daughter's school? And then do you just disappear after that? Or just, I don't know, just like a lot of the logistics, like how does it work? And it just felt like she was going to tell me, even though it also felt like she wasn't supposed to, or like, mm. like you're not supposed to tell people really what happens there but i feel like she was gonna or and she was open to telling me and that yeah that's what it, it felt like I, I guess i just wanted to know it, it it sort of just felt like like she moved to another country and it's just like what is life like there for you right makes sense i remember the one dream someone shared and they're asking what if like if god is real and uh, then the the person said, yeah, but you wouldn't understand. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you know, like that oh. is a lot of the questions we do have is, I think it's very limited to our own reality. When, when did, was it that you're like, I'm going to publish these? Cause you're writing them down. I didn't think, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but you weren't thinking that you were going to publish <laughs> the, no, a book not, based on the dream. Not at all. I, I started, it was about, um, I think about 10 months in after she had passed away that it even crossed my mind. Like I thought maybe I could write a book about it just and 
to to really you know really analyze each dream and see what is going on because prior to that i was just kind of thinking that like gosh it sure seems strange that i'm dreaming about so much and her life and everything and i wonder what it's showing me and whatever so i thought maybe i'll write something and i told my husband one night at dinner i just said you know i said i'm thinking maybe i'll turn i'm gonna turn the dreams into a book or something and then he said that i should and he said even if it's just for yourself so i said that's true you know like because maybe after i write it it is going to be so incomprehensible it's not going to make any sense to anyone that i wouldn't publish it anyway but at least i got it out and at least i sort of worked through it myself and I figured things out for myself. So as I was writing it, I started journaling in in May of uh, 20, not, not I'm getting confused, of, of 2020. Um, I started just journaling, just all kinds of just random things that I would think about with, of her and just the grieving and everything. And then at her, after her one year anniversary of her death, that's when I made the spreadsheet of the dreams that I had. And I thought that would be like a starting point because I would see all these patterns just emerge, but then I didn't, but I, I start, but then I thought I'm just going to write from dream one up until the one year and see what happens. So I did, I wrote for about maybe eight, eight months or so. And throughout it, sometimes I would tell my husband like, oh God, like this is not, I'm never going to publish this at all. Like it's not going to work at all. It makes no sense. Nobody, but our own family is going to understand it. And there's just no coherence. And there's no like, you know, I told him that I thought there had to be some sort of, there needs to be, or I guess I wanted there to show some sort of growth or some kind of thread going through the whole thing that sort of made it where when you finish it, you're not just like, uh, <laughs> okay, you know, like, thanks for telling me your dream that made no sense. But I just kept working on it. And then at some point, I, I I think I revised it, I don't know how many times, like over 10 times. And I just kept reading it and reading it. And, I kept mo- and then I started moving things around. And then I started organizing things differently with different memories. And because as I was writing it, I didn't know, you know, like, is what this dream makes me think of, is that going to come up later in a different dream that maybe that story that I wanted to tell, it would fit better at that later dream or something. So initially it was just writing about everything and everything was all sort of jumbled and mixed up. But then once I got it in a more coherent order, and then I added things for each month about what actually was going on in real life or what that month typically entails for our family, like, you know, like Christmas traditions or whatever, then it it just started making more sense. And then I thought, okay, like, I think I can publish this. And even if it's just for her husband and kids and my parents, even if, you know, if they're the only readers, it's still, it's out there. And it's something that I think she would have been very, uh, she would have been very tickled by, I think. And like, just in just disbelief that I wrote something about her and for like the world to see and even if nobody does see it it's still that it's out there and it'll be out there forever you know it's sort of just like like a permanent stamp that like she was here and she meant something to me well that definitely came across and it's really amazing to see her photo within the first couple pages oh yeah (laughs) 
that, that, yeah. that was nice. I was debating really whether connect. I should include a bunch of pictures, but I was writing this book in secret. Like I didn't tell my family. I, I mean, except for my husband and kids, but I didn't tell like, you know, her, her husband and kids and my parents and everything. So I didn't know. I didn't want to, um, you know, publish pictures of them, of course, without their permission, which is why I don't name anybody in the book as well. Because I, I didn't have anyone's permission prior to writing about them. And so what was their reaction when you when you said you wrote a book? Did they read it? I know family is kind of weird sometimes. <laughs> Did like people actually read it? The people were people maybe not impressed? Like what, what were their reactions when it came to your excitement that you had something finalized? Well, I told um, my middle sister about it before it was done, but she's the only person I told. And everyone else found out when I had the published book in my hand and I just gave it to them. And I just said, oh, by the way, <laughs> I wrote a book. You know, that's the way to do it, I think. <laughs> and there's no influence on anything. And you're just like, here it is. You like it or not, it's already, it's already published. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I didn't want to be asked every time I saw them, like, how's the book coming? And especially if I didn't end up publishing it or if it ended up I didn't want to share anything. So, yeah, I just sort of just blindsided everyone <laughs> they're just like what are you talking about but the the reception was was really good every it was very emotional for everyone and i actually i, I didn't expect her children to read it just because i thought i don't know i don't know if they would want to and because they're teenagers and i just thought you know maybe, maybe they would just keep it on the side and read it one day but then they both read it the night that I gave it to them and then they sent me these texts and I'm just like crying and yeah so then I thought gosh like if everyone else in the world like hates it like it doesn't matter because they they read it and they said just these like amazing things about it then I thought then I don't need any anybody else's feedback because I have theirs. Wow. That's beautiful. I'm really, I'm really happy that they, they read it and, and they provide you that feedback because you're right. You're, it's a lone, it's a lonely road. You kept it hidden and you mm -hmm. know, and these dreams were for you. And I can only imagine for them, they got to hear stories that they probably never heard right. before. That's what, that's mm. what they both said yeah. that like, you know, they got to relive some memories that they were there for and also hear stories about her that they didn't know. Oh, wow. That's so beautiful. What a, what a gift for them that, you know, you never knew you were given. Well, I know you didn't need any more feedback, but uh, I gave you some feedback and hopefully that was <laughs> it's not as good, but, <laughs> but you did do a great job. And Thank you. for this being said, like your, your first book, it, it's actually how I would have, if someone asked me what would be the best way to write a book on this topic, I would have said exactly what you did. But a lot of people just don't—they they don't have as many dreams as you, so like, it'll be pretty short, more of a pamphlet than anything. Um, but uh, for you to have that many and then decide to do this and really work at it—is it like ten different drafts and you need encouragement from your husband? I think it's amazing on what you what you were able to do and, and pursue this dream you had of getting it published, and then to see the impact not only I said it had on the kids, but it's having on other people. Uh, even myself as someone in the field and you know like you probably didn't know how 
limited the research was in this topic and how people are finding it very difficult to talk about to others about the subject. And this book is actually such a, a beautiful tool for a lot of people to feel more comfortable bringing up the subject to people because most people will have these experiences. And so I'm really curious when you gave it to your family, did people start sharing their dreams of her with you or did people say, Oh, I wish I had more dreams of her. A few people have mentioned some dreams, but yeah, most people didn't really say anything about that. But um, one thing I wanted to say is that when I was writing it, I didn't, I had never heard of grief dreams before. So um, I, I thought I made up the term grief dreams and I thought I'm going to Google this phrase and I'm pretty sure I made it up and then I Googled it and then I found you. So that's how I, that's how I discovered you. That's really great to hear because me and Sean were like, (laughs) we tested different names out because I said there wasn't a lot of research in the area and there wasn't really a name for it. We were going to call it bereavement dreams. It's a little bit more accurate, oh. but no one really knew what bereavement was and didn't know how to spell it. So then we went to grief because <laughs> it just sounded better. And so there was a book that was written called Grief Dreams, and they used that kind of language because it's not just about dreams of the sea. It's just like you have to like it expands to other dreams people have too. So we really just took that on. And I'm like, if people are labeling it like that, I think that's great. That means we did a good job in naming it. And it's easy to remember. So I'm glad it came up. I think that for me, like that's a beautiful aspect of keeping the platform alive and and doing what I've done to try to raise awareness of it in the world. Because you're right, there wasn't a name for it. And now it's just you're trying to market the name so people know where to find the, the literature and know where to find the resources they need to be able to help others or help themselves to work through these dreams, try to understand them in a new way. So I'm glad you found it, which means we did something right. Hey, Sean. (laughs) Short and sweet. Yeah. Dreams. Right. I think I found it when I was trying to look up a title, when I was trying to come up with for, um, when I was trying to come up with the title for my book, I was just thinking, what could I call it? And I was like, what are these? And what is it? And there has to be the word dreams and it It has to be the word grief. And I thought, Oh, so I just, I think I Googled it to see if it had already been taken. (laughs) <laughs> and it no, it's, a great, <laughs> it's a great title i think it, that uh, grieving in dreams i think that is helps people understand a little bit more but you know anytime you try to market something you're trying to squeeze squeeze as uh, the words out so grief dreams for us is just like it's easy for the website mm-hmm. <laughs> podcast but i think it's uh, definitely applicable applicable to uh, this book and just getting people to understand what the book's about and so as we wrap up the podcast, the one thing we like to ask people <laughs> you know, is if you could have a dream tonight, <laughs> which you probably oh, will, uh, what <laughs> dream would you want to have? It could be of your sister or uh, of uh, anyone else who has died. I actually would like to dream about her knowing about the book. I've had some where it seemed to be indirectly about the book. When I was first starting to write it and I was feeling very uh, unsure about going forward with it, I had a dream about her where I was in like a glass house and I was feeling very uh, vulnerable and scared and just, I I think, and there were people trying to come into the house. And then all of a sudden she appeared and she just stepped into the house and it felt like instantly comforting. Like I just felt safe. And then when I woke up, I thought, God, that's sort of like 
my fear about writing the book, like this glass house of being, letting just strangers into my life and telling, you know, just telling everybody all kinds of things. And of course, there's that vulnerability aspect of it and just feeling nervous about how people are going to react as well. And then here she comes sort of saying like, it's okay, like I'm right here. So you don't have to be, you know, scared of the strangers coming into the house. So then that sort of gave me some push to like, be like, okay, like she's okay with me writing this about her. And then since then, I've had various dreams about the book. And there are some, there have been some where I think she is aware of it. And I know there was one I had recently where in the dream, I was thinking like, oh, I'm going to give her a copy so she can finally read it. So throughout all the dreams I've had where it seems like she's aware of it, she's never really, like, I've never really talked to her about it or, like, showed it to her or, you know, just to be like, look what I wrote about you and have her read it and just see what, I guess, just to get her reaction. So I think that's what, that is a dream that I would like to have one day, tonight, if possible. (laughs) Well, I hope so. I hope you have something like that, too. But I'm guessing she'll just congratulate you that you're able to pursue this without her telling you that you should. <laughs> like, <laughs> right? Like a lot of so the, the, what I've known about her so far in the book is that she's a really go-getter. She, if there's something to do, she makes a decision and does it. And you're able to make the decision to be able to pursue this. That is also very, very challenging for so many people to open up their world to others mm-hmm. to look into. And there's that fear, right? And so for you to be able to do that, it just shows a lot of strength for you to be able to do that. And I want to like congratulate you and just say like, I'm super amazed that you were able to do that in the midst of grief. Like you really, as much grief is hard, but then you're persevering a lot of these other challenges that you had when it comes to just opening up about your life that were there prior. Like it didn't just happen. It was like, this Mm -hmm. is just a part of life where a lot of people have these fears and you're able to do that in the midst of all that suffering and you know what a product that you created so i hope you feel really good about what you've done because i think it's an amazing product and i wouldn't say that if it wasn't true so thank you <laughs> yeah it's it's been great just hearing about the process hearing about you um, just what direction you decided to take in writing it like you said that when you started it was a little bit uh, like, where do I go from here? But, you know, near the end, it, it, you had something that uh, really seems to flow and uh, have a good direction to it. And again, th- you, thank you for coming on today. You've done a phenomenal job. It was really uh, great listening and hearing you speak and, you know, sharing a, a tender part of your life uh, can be very difficult. Uh, sharing these type of conversations normally are, are very hard, but, you know, you, you again, you're, you're very courageous because you wrote a book and here you are on your first real official podcast and and you did it. So I think that's probably some uh, something that maybe your sister's coaching you or <laughs> there with you and helping you have that confidence in you. But but it's there. Right. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I feel like it's like uh, a relief <laughs> or like a weight has been lifted a little bit. Well, um, we're happy that to hear that because so just talking about her grief in general helps release the weight and to not only be able to talk about her, but to also, I would think, talk about your book it would be just an amazing moment in your life. I know like when I first started doing the research, when people 
asked me to come on their podcast and talk, it it felt like it felt like a relief too. Like all the work that I've been doing, I was able to talk and I was able to talk about my dad too. And people were wanting to know more about my loss because I said it's been a couple of years and people can stop asking, but yet there's still such a big part of your life and why, who you are and what you're doing. And so to be able to bring that to light to new people around the world, I think, you know, like why wouldn't that be impactful? I think this is why I love the podcast so much is it does give a voice to people that may not have one in their own life. And now they have an audience around the world. So uh, I hope it connects with the audience. I know it will. It's a grief dreams podcast. If this doesn't, I don't know why they're listening to it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. On that note, where can uh, listeners get the book? Uh, It's available at Amazon. Oh, easy peasy. Simple. Yeah. wonderful so they can definitely search for grieving and dreams finding peace after losing my sister by jen k lee jen is there anywhere else where people can reach you or or if or if you want whatever you want to share no not not really i i do have a i do have a book um instagram the grieving and dreams but it's not really i just sort of have it to have it i guess yeah (laughs) okay all right cool well people can uh, again just find the book and uh, enjoy it that way so Thank you so much for coming on. And as always, we like to end the podcast with love and gratitude from us to you. Thank you again for listening to the episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If you want to learn more about the topic, please check out our platform at griefdreams.ca. On there, you can find our two online courses. So the first one is a Grief Dreams workshop that I developed, which is designed to help you learn all about the topic. And the second one is Crazy in Love, Using Romantic Relationships as a Vehicle for Growth. And this is designed to help you rethink modern intimate relationships. And that is by myself and Jade Carling Black. On the website, you can also book a one-on-one Grief Dreams consulting session with me to discuss your own dreams. Or if you want to learn more about the topic, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Clubhouse, at Grief Dreams. We have two clubs on Clubhouse that you can follow, and those are Grief Dreams, and the other one is Grief Cafe. If you have Facebook, you can follow our Grief Dreams podcast page to be notified when we release new episodes. You can also join the Grief Dreams Facebook group, and on there you can share your dreams and hear more dreams of others. Once again, to help support the podcast, please subscribe and rate the podcast on your platform that you listen on. This helps our show come up when people search for grief podcasts to listen to. Also, you can become a member of the podcast through Patreon. And we have three membership levels, $1.50, $7, and $20 a month. So if you want to give, please go there to see what perks we have to offer. This money helps us run the podcast. You can find the Patreon link in the show notes below. We would like to thank all of those who continue to support us. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you can be comforted by your dreams tonight.